All right. So um, you might remember that we have been talking about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, a biblical perspective on that. Um, and this is the second uh, from a two-part series on this topic. And um, I'll try my best to not be distracted today. <laughs> You remember that when I started to teach, and it wasn't planned at all. I was just, you know, boy, we have a, a creaking in the <laughs> on that window. And I got like, okay, focus. Ooh, I can't take my eyes off of it. But Well, how about we start with a word of prayer. Uh, gracious Father, thank you so much for the blessings that you sent our way, Lord. We're thankful for the rain. We're thankful for even the snow that wet the ground so that it may uh, bloom very soon. We're thankful for all your kindness toward us in pr protecting, providing, um, both physically and spiritually. Lord, we're thankful for the instructions um, in the scripture that give us everything we need pertaining to life. Father, even as we approach this topic, I pray that you would uh, be an encouragement to those um, that might have someone in their family or have personal struggles on their own. Um, so help us, Father, to focus and to learn, and may your spirit be with all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I said, this is second uh, part of the a biblical perspective on ADHD, and we have covered kind of the secular diagnosis on our last meeting. We covered um, the importance of looking at potential um, physical components, uh, diet or just physical examination. Certain diseases might take our attention, certain medications, certain things that uh, I talked about all of that, uh, dealing with compassion with the parents. This is not something um, easy to deal with. And so we want to approach with compassion and with listening ears to understand how deep the struggle is. And then from there, really um, to, to see those children or adults as God sees them as um, created in his image that just have a different way of learning. So that kind of a, a one-minute summary of what we, we covered last week. And so today I really want to focus on uh, two major components. One is a study on Proverbs 4, um, chapter 4 and verses 20 to 27, and it's on the importance of teaching a child to pay attention training them to pay attention. And then at the end there, we'll have some uh, examples um, of you know, what, how the DSM describes, and then how the Bible speaks about some of these symptoms. Does, does it have answers for um, some of these behaviors? And so I rely heavily on um, Dr. Daniel's Berger book, uh, teaching a child to pay attention. So your notes are basically some of his parts of his book there. Um, I might have some illustrations of my own, but credit to who credit is due. This is all his work. <laughs> and then uh, Rita, uh, Rita Jameson, who is a school teacher that also a biblical counselor, and she has all, a lot of good insights uh, on training children. All right. So with that said, let's open our Bibles to Proverbs 4. Um, I will kind of leave the questions to the end, but I also want to leave, um, if you have a pressing question or a comment that you think will be helpful um, in the middle of the lecture, feel free to raise your hand. Just um, make that comment or question, all right? Um, so Proverbs chapter 4, and we're looking primarily, well, I just want, actually, let's see verse 1, and then um, I might just skip and go 
to, to some of the verses until we get to 20, because there's a lot of repetition, and I want you to pay attention to that, the repetition that is happening here. Verse 1, hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. But I give you sound teaching, do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son inside of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and, lead, and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Again, hear my son, accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom, and I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. He's going to describe, obviously, the way of the wicked, and then get into verse 20, where we want to go there. My son, give what? Attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life for those who find them, and health for all their body. To all their body, watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed. It's straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So one of the most important elements with um, ADHD is attention. Um, and I, I think it is interesting that um, even the DSM, they would have notes saying, you know, the problem is... It's not as much as attention. I mean, they don't say exactly in this, in this wording, but it says that some children or adults can, can have a selective attention. You know, it's where, oh, they can't focus to do homeschool uh, or, you know, do their schoolwork, um, but they can focus on playing video games for eight to 10 hours nonstop. So the problem is not attention, it is a selective attention that they, they give to. Now, uh, Proverbs will emphasize three participants in a child's education, and you will see that one is the child themselves, who they're talking to, who is Solomon writing to, to his son, or his sons, <laughs> I don't know how many, uh, I can't, can't recall how many he had, but he, said, and he goes back to the teaching that his father David had with him and how that was passed on. So there is the parental uh, instruction, and there is, and there is a, a spiritual element that for us, that our believers is the Holy Spirit that is acting to, in the heart of the child as well. Um, that, that wisdom that comes from the Lord is to help them to have that element of paying attention. So train the receptive organs is what the first step here, according to Daniel Berger, as he's looking at Proverbs 20, 21, talks about the inclining the ears to hear, to setting the gaze straight to where to, to, to pay attention. So for a child to offer his attention correctly, he must first be taught how to control his eyes and ears. These organs are the learner's chief physical instruments with which he attention by which the education occurs. Um, 
Waltke is a, a commentator, a scholar, he said, writes of his passage, logically, the introduction to this section, Proverbs 4, mentions the receptive organs, the ears, verse 20, the eyes, verse 21, and then the heart. As with the rest of the body, the eyes, the ears, and the mind need exercise and ordered experiences to form right habits and idea and to learn self-control. The whole body must learn to work together in order to live successfully. Though their verbal instructions are clearly important and even faith comes from hearing, parents must also consider the practical wisdom gained by the child through the physical repetition and the experience of the child controlling his own mind and body. God, God desi God's design for the eyes and ears to receive and shape the heart is very significant. In fact, modern neuroscience reveals the connection between the mind-heart and the senses are more powerful than we imagined. Renowned neuroscientist um, Villeneuve, it's a very hard name to pronounce, Hema Shadran has done a groundwork working, which among other things has shown that the physical brain, the immaterial mind, and the body, specifically the eyes, work together. So he came to this conclusion unintentionally on how deceptive the mind can be, a point that the Bible already <laughs> talks about. Um, one illustration that he presents in that is a phantom called phantom pains. So which uh, amputees, people that have an organ, uh, one of their limbs amputated, they, they feel even though the, the limb is not there anymore. So prior to the amputation of their damaged limb, the patients experience severe pain that in the damaged appendage. Desiring to eliminate that pain, they plead with their doctors to amputate. And after the, and after the surgery, however, the pain persists even without the patient's limb present. This common experience has led many neuro neurologists to theorize that much of our supposed physical pain is actually a mere perception and a habituation rather than the result of tangible physical causes. So when the eyes are given to something repeatedly, this habituation also uh, shapes the mind. Um, he makes uh, an interesting observation I copy there for you. Video games, pornography, advertisement, images of, of what a young lady should physically look like in magazine or TV programs, to name a few, constantly influence the mind's thinking. Likewise, the positive examples of parents and their own lifestyles impact the child's mind through repeated observation. And the study is based upon this truth. When it comes to all realms of learning, the application of this reality is staggering, um, says Dr. Berger. By teaching their children to control their physical bodies, parents begin teaching them to live to honor others, to favor someone above themselves an action which goes against their natural mindset. You know, it, it is very interesting how that, that visual um, stimulation will determine what we, we believe and what we, uh, how we perceive things. Uh, pornography is huge in our day and age. Um, and so that's why the Bible is so full of examples, right? Even in uh, Romans says that everything that was written about the Old Testament, it was written for our instruction so that we might learn from their mistakes and not repeat them. Um, or that we, we might look at the positive examples and yearn for them and, and to long to copy the, that, those behaviors. And so, um, illustrations. I think about how ironic this is, because you have David who committed adultery and um, Solomon, even though he wasn't necessarily the product of that adultery, because now David was married to the woman, um, he's saying, you know, talking about purity. Uh, I, I bet it was very painful to talk about those things with his son to say, you know, I have messed up and I don't want you to do that. And now here we have Solomon doing the same thing with his son. <laughs> you, you know, just, just don't do what I did. This is what scripture says. So, uh, I think it's an encouragement even for parents when you look back to your own life and think, boy, I, I have messed up and I think my child, it will go um, on my, follow on my, my steps. It's like, no, they don't have to. Um, 
the Lord is the perfect father, the perfect parent. And Isaiah says that children I have reared and they rebelled against me. I mean, it, he was the perfect father and yet the children rebelled. So we can still teach them in spite, even in spite of our uh, weaknesses and, and failures and sins. The next point here says, by teaching the children to control their physical bodies, parents begin teaching them to give honor to others, to favor someone above themselves, an action that goes against their natural instinct or mindset. Ephesians 6, 3, children are commanded to honor and favor their parents above themselves and to obey. Parents first can teach the child to honor them by physically training the eyes to set the eyes on anyone um, is to view him with favor. And Genesis and, and Job, all these references that we read in the scripture is, you know, setting the eyes is compared to give favor to someone. If children are to favor their parents' instructions above their own thinking, they must be taught to do so. Their behavior will most likely not occur if a child is left to their own natural way. The example of God the Father allows us to see how important this concept in parenting is. God himself sets his favor or grace on those who set their eyes on him and other people, and he opposed those whose eyes are focused on themselves, 1 Peter 5, 5. Since giving attention to someone else's inclinations is contrary to a child's natural way of thinking, but vital to the educational process, parents must train their children to pay attention and to understand why paying attention is so essential. And so the teaching should begin really with the training of the physical eyes. If they cannot physically focus uh, their attention, control his eyes, then he cannot guard his heart. To lack, um, this lack of self-control will be seen the rest of their own bodies. Um, this connection between the eyes and the heart is even brought um, in Jesus' teaching. Right? If you look, uh, but I say to everyone that looks at a woman with a lustful intent, they already committed adultery in his heart. God forbids men to use his body to fulfill their lust, and the man's obedience must start with the eyes. Matthew 6, 22 to 23 says, the eyes, the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In the spiritual sense, if one cannot give his attention singularly, that is, to have one eye and fix on that fixed pursuit, then he wanders without singular direction and his body will follow. Proverbs list this um, receptive organs, the eyes, the ears, and it's no wonder that um, a man like Job made a covenant with his eyes so that he might not look lustfully on a woman. Um, he realized that if he did not control his physical eyes, then not only his heart, but the rest of his body would follow. The next several verses show that his decision was based upon his spiritual eyes, the heart, desire, and pursuit. In verse 5 of Job 31 says that, If we have walked with falsehood, and my foot has hastened to deceit. He goes on in verse 7 to make it clear that the heart follows what the eyes entertain. If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart has gone after my eyes, if any spot was is stuck to my hands, and then let me sow and another eat. Similarly, a child is allowed to pursue and have all that his eyes and then his heart desires. Um, then he learns that his way of life and behaves accordingly. Learning to control one's physical eyes help to guard the heart against the natural way of thinking. And I think about, you know, First John, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and eventually from evil influences, which can encourage wrong desires and lead to wrong actions. So to train the child's eyes, um, parents will need to take hands-on approach. They, they need to, besides the verbal instruction to look them in the eyes, a parent can gently turn the child's young face toward his own to order to establish that eye contact. I remember when I was teaching English to um, 
yeah, I taught English, believe it or not, <laughs> to, te to teenagers. And um, it, it, oh boy, it was just rough. Um, and to, you know, keep their attention. Um, it was, and I'm, a, okay, so kind of a backstory. I took five years of English at the university. And um, I had this one teacher, boy, she had a, a chromosomal, um, I don't know, mutation that she, um, she, I don't know if she was like a, a triple X, or I don't remember exactly. In any case, so, so super, so it was really short and, and skinny, but she was so energetic. Oh my goodness, she was like, she'd climb on the table. I couldn't keep my eyes off her. It's just like, she's so entertaining. The whole classroom was paying attention to what she was saying. And I thought, maybe I can do things like her. <laughs> and when I am teaching, but I, I, you know, I wasn't that in their jacket and I couldn't really climb the table. But um, the main thing in the school is you cannot speak Portuguese with the students because they will try, you know, so hard to, tr to have their questions in Portuguese and I, I could only speak English. Now that is good when you have an advanced class. They already know they can't speak English, but with beginners, I, I would have to find any way I could to not only keep their attention, but to make clear that they understood. So mimicking things, you know, running, I would be mimicking running or drawing on the board. This is what it is. I cannot speak Portuguese. <laughs> but um, I think that has to do with us also being creative. You know, certain children will learn if there's something that grip their attention. And by observation, you can see what, what is that entertain their eyes? What is that that draws their attention? And that's what they're gonna use. Step two, and it's based on verses 21 and 24. Do not let, your, do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them. So focus on the heart, um, and he has several kind of subpoints on this, aim for understanding. In order for the instructions to reach the mind, the child must first understand them. Though obvious, this fact is easily overlooked. Uh, Proverbs teaches that a hearer cannot receive divine wisdom or parental instruction without understanding. Therefore, parents must strive for their children's understanding and expect their children to receive their instructions only as the instructions are age-appropriate in accordance to the child's ability to comprehend the information. I think one of the, the blessings uh, for the, all of the you that are teaching children today um, in Sunday school or whatever, it is a blessing to you that you're able to convey, you, you do not diminish the message, you do not make the message less than what it is, you simplify it for that age. And if you're able to do that, you're able to communicate effectually, effect, effectively with any adult because you're able to bring out truth, explain in a different way, to give illustrations, to make comparisons, that that will make easier for them to understand. It is so sad when, um, and, and I can even say that when I am counseling, um, I have to watch out to assume that people are understanding what I'm saying. Um, we have to check from time to time by asking questions or rephrasing it. Um, and especially I think here in a Minnesota culture where people are so embarrassed of asking questions or, it, it, you know, it, sometimes I, I'm counseling and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, can, can you say what I just said? I'm like, what, what is that? Um, it, you know, it's hard, but um, it, I have to, to police myself, you know, just because people are shaking their heads and saying, yeah, they understood, it, it doesn't mean that. Um, and obviously we all need to grow in humility um, to, to say, you know, I, I didn't, and I'm not gonna move pa past this <laughs> until I do. So um, Proverbs 1, 1 through 6 present words of understanding representing instruction and the instructor, the one who is able to receive understanding, the student. And the goal of moral teaching is understanding what is moral education. It starts with salvation. Even in temporal education, understanding is clearly a goal that good teachers pursue and eager um, students possess. 
When it comes to moral education, we must diligently fulfill the responsibility and careful to be dependent upon God to bring about the goal of wisdom. So um, now he makes a comment about brain, our brain being um, what we call the plasticity of the brain, being able to adapt, be able to grow, be able to expand in knowledge. Um, and he says, even in the face of valid physical impairments and brain in injuries, people have been known to regain full mental capacity when repetition and compassion are in place. Secularists such as Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz and Dr. Rebecca Gladding have written books on self-directed neuroplasticity, which they describe as eliminating bad brain habits through mental repetition and suggest that such exercises form a basis for hope and motivation. The process of such habituation, whether self-imposed or with someone else with them in a room, is often referred to as therapy. Obviously, we do not endorse uh, uh, psychotherapy. Uh, but what really they're uh, kind of a, a agreeing is that um, the, our, our physical minds really is a reflection of our, of our spiritual minds, right? That they are able to grow. Um, that's why Paul, even in his letter, he says, you know, even if my outer man is wasting away, my inner man is being renewed. Why? Because I am growing, because I'm learning truths of scripture that have an impact on my life. Walt Key, as <clears throat> commentator, states that it, search the verb to find here um, is appropriate with the command to pay attention. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ears uh, for that which is found is normally the first thing that the child will seek. If the child, however, seeks his own way instead of valuing his authority, authority's directives, he will fail to carry through with those instructions. Um, and the interesting thing is that Proverbs is using this beautiful analogy of this lady wisdom, right? The beautiful, attractive, um, uh, enticing, and then even using as a, a metal precious metal um, analogy. It, it looks like gold, you know, you look for it like gold, something that is uh, appealing <clears throat> to your senses. So it, it states the precious metals and intensifying a chiastic parallel as for hidden treasures, refers to objects so precious such as silver or gold bricks or gems that they need to be hidden in secret places. So that knowledge you're gonna store like a treasure. Um, and to protect them from thieves. The metaphor implies that a great deal of effort and sacrifice must be expended to get it. For the child to obtain such valuable wisdom will require both the child's and the parent's diligent effort and great sacrifice. To whom or to what a child gives his attention reveals his treasures um, and what is in his heart. Matthew 6, 21 says, where one's treasure is, there were your heart will be also. It can likewise be stated that one's eyes, physically and spiritually, are focused. There is his heart and treasure. Wisdom enables the believer to focus his attention not only on things that priceless, priceless value he cannot physically see, but also in the future, 2 Corinthians 5.18. So parents and teachers should desire children not to merely obey, though, but to be and behave well, but to obey with an attentive heart, acting on right desires and right motives. <clears throat> this is the same desire that the father in Proverbs had for his son. The highest motive for attention and obedience must become the child's desire to please and glorify God. We should constantly be bringing that back. Um, you know, daddy is also trying to glorify God. Mommy is also trying to glorify God. And you know, and if I let you to do what you want to do all the time, I am not glorifying God. I need to help you to do that. So the right motive will propel each participant to, toward the finish line, uh, Dr. Berger says. The fact that the motives are important to God, he will even judge man according to them. And yet, there's more reason to eliminate behaviorism as a viable solution for Christians to deal with the child's behavior. So, you know, the secular world gets this. They understand that 
um, repetition and all those things will affect the behavior of a child. And yet it is for, for us as believers, that's not enough. We just don't want people to kids to be well behaved, we want kids to be well behaved for God's glory and not for their own self-improvement. I mean, praise God they're doing well, but praise God if they're doing well for God's glory. Um, I'm going to skip some here. Um, six, uh, actually, part D there. Emphasize uh, personal responsibility, and it's based on verse 23. Watch over your heart with all dil- diligence, for from it, flow the springs of life. So there is a sense that he's talking to him. It is not the parent's role to protect their hearts. You know, he's going to help participate on the action, but ultimately it is the child that is being in charge of that role of protecting their own heart. The child is personally responsible to keep on guard his own heart, which include his behaviors. The prudent parent anticipates the child's future departure from his authority and dis- and disciples his child accordingly. Uh, Proverbs 23, 19. Uh, let me get there. 23, 19 says, Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Uh, simply stated, wise parents discipline their children until self-discipline becomes a part of who the child is. This is not to... Uh, discipline apart from regeneration, but self-discipline for the po- purpose of godliness. First uh, Timothy 4, 7, 8 says that godliness, this practice, this training is profitable in every way. Physical exercise is good, but spiritual exercise is even better. And I, I put a little um, cartoon drawing there. Um, and, you know, Yes, you're going to confront kids to say, no, there are consequences for bad behavior. <laughs> Whatever you do will have a consequence, not just on this household, but there's consequences out there. Um, how, he says, this kid says here, how I'm supposed to think about consequences before they happen? Well, <laughs> you're warned by what we're warning you. You know, in scripture, many times it says, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you do that, that's going to happen. Um, I remember there was this one kid um, that he was diagnosed, and he was a teenager. I mean, he was he was really big kid. Actually, we uh, had uh, Lindsay with me because he was a minor, so we needed two adults to be in the room. <clears throat> and also, I I was in a very public setting because if anything happened, he had anger issues. <laughs> very big, so I had to make sure they had other people nearby just in case. Um, but he was diagnosed with ADHD and uh, bipolar disorder. Um, very intense, so hard to keep focus. Um, he, he came with these uh, fidgety things, you know, like fidgety spinners or this little, um, you know those little bells that you're having cats? Anyway, so he would bring that, and it would be like the whole time, you know, talking and, and doing this and doing that, and it was... Okay, so we had to re-strategize the way, because this is not you know, the kind of counseling that we do with everyone. So we started, okay, your attention span right now seems like to be 20 minutes, so our meetings are gonna be 20 minutes long. I'm gonna make a deal with you. You're gonna put all your things on this box here, and you're not gonna touch them, because he would be like in his backpack trying to find his phone, trying to get anything that he could uh, get his attention to. So we put everything in a box, and we put the box aside, and say, you're not going to even look at the box right now. So it wasn't easy, because many times I, I, I would see him, like, wandering off. and was, like, looking at him, so-and-so, um, what, what does it say there? I want you to read it for me and read it out aloud, <laughs> you know? Uh, but it was rough. The first meeting just so difficult to get to that point, and then... We moved on from 20 minutes to 30 minutes and then to 40 minutes, and that went how things really started. And it's, it's so interesting when uh, you know that they're getting it. There were times where I thought he, I just remember coming home with Lynn so discouraged and thinking, boy, that was like that, we, we went nowhere. It, you know, no, nothing happened here. Because, but then all of a sudden, we would be reading a certain text, and he would be like, Oh, so this is me, 
know, we, it was basically evangelism with him at that point. He didn't know the Lord. Um, but using the parables that Jesus told, so stories were very appealing to him. Um, and then uh, the, the, I'm getting here with the emphasizing the personal responsibility, you know. Um, that has to do with the fact that it, it's not just in the home. You know, the, you live in a world that there's police. If you, if you do something bad, you know, he, he was some, there was some involvement with drugs too, you're going to get caught, and guess what? You're going to go to jail. Nobody's going to bail you out. Um, and so he, uh, there was a point, and for me that was kind of like a turning point for him as well, um, that he, he would have these meltdowns at home because he couldn't access his computer and play video games and, and whatnot. And he started just, you know, having a meltdown, screaming, wailing. Um, and the parents had a camera that they were school teachers, so they could, you know, kind of supervise him when he was alone in the house. So he's screaming, wailing, because he didn't have the video games with him. And the neighbor got worried and called the cops because she thought something is happening. You know, he's being bitten up. And the parents told me that they watched the whole thing from, you know, the camera. And he's having the meltdown of a lifetime. And, you know, the cops knocked the door and, sir, is everything okay? And he totally changed his demeanor. No, everything is fine. And, you know, it's like, what? You know, so you fear. You understand that you are going to be held accountable for the things you do. Um, and we don't know where he's at now, but the last time we texted with the parents, they sent a picture of him in the, um, in the uh, youth camp, which is something that I never thought he would go to, and he's participating, and I don't know. I'm, hopefully the Lord's seed is there that was planted and uh, will do its work. All right, moving on. Confront the natural heart. Um, verse 24, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. First glance, it may seem that Proverbs 24 speaks only of a child's speech. However, Proverbs also speak of the natural condition of the heart. Put away your crooked speech and put away the devious talk far from you. Obeying this command does not entail controlling the mouth only, but because the, the mouth reveals the heart, reigning in the tongue will demand cultivating a heart that embraces truth and rejects falsehood. The mouth is given to pride of place, for it is direct conduit to the heart. Because as one speaks, speak, so he is. The child's behavior reveals his heart and purpose, but his mouth is often most revealing. Here in verse 22, the father addresses both the natural heart and its behavior, which is crooked and is devious. So, um, step three, verses 25 and 26. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. The metaphor here uh, is basically to warn of besetting distractions. There are things that will distract you. Um, but the... the picture there because you, you know make the analogy with the little kid playing video game for 10 hours but they can't do their homework in 10 minutes or 15 minutes that you have them do that so the parents trying to put a book in front of the video game to see if they it gets their attention um, when uh, in this proverb the eyes and the feet must work together in order for the child to arrive to this destination but the child must fix his attention. When a man's gaze is fixed intently upon a goal, his eyelids are naturally immovable. It is key to, again, note the one step. If parents do not teach their children to remain focused externally on their faces, then they should not expect the child to stay focused internally on set, set objects. That's why we had to remove the distractions from the table. And the room had to be as clean as possible in terms of, of things. One day, um, they were using the, the room that we use for counseling, the library to store some um, glass. And we were having a big event in the church uh, that day. And there was a lot of different things, you know, for the event, like glasses, water bottles, and 
enormous. I look, I opened the room, I was like, there's no way we're gonna counsel here. There's just not, it will be way too much distractions and destruction potentially of, of all these uh, glass things. So we decided to go to a different room, which is really small for the three of us, but it worked out. Staying focused with the eyes and the mind despite distractions is a skill that will help the child in the home as well as the church or school because distraction is the enemy of all education. Therefore, distractions must never, must never be allowed, least of all in school, for the result to be certain prosperity in that direction, which might soon grow into a habit. Even the finest talents may be wasted once a man is subject to distraction. Although children are inattentive in their games, they soon recall their attention. Um, it says here, self-control is essential for the child's success. However, the natural tendency of the children of children is to be easily distracted. The eyes ever search for newest stimuli. Proverbs 27, 20 talks about that. And so the son must be admonished to keep them from straying, uh, straying from the strongest stimuli. Proverbs 17, 24. Uh, how about someone read that one for us? 1724. It says that the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth, just wandering around, just looking for something to entertain them. So the fool is characterized by distraction and fantasy, whereas wisdom is the focus of people with understanding. This is why they have understanding, because they're focusing on learning something and not too broad or scattered. Furthermore, planning is required in order to be successful. Proverbs 4.26 says that watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Remember, we heard of, uh, the story of um, when it was in Israel. So they had the degrees to get to the temple, right? The, the stairs, the staircase. Um, and they purposefully made the steps in different lengths so that they would pay attention what is their next step was. What we just get so in the mode of, uh, I, we don't even look at it because the steps are the same. When they're different, you know, you can trip if you, you just go distracted. So um, what I was going with this, ponder the path of your feet. You, you, you plan ahead, you uh, make sure that those things that are distractible, they won't be there. Um, and this is what I'm going to do. This is the next step. This is the next step. And this is um, so directions for kids um, in terms of that will be very helpful. Proverbs 21, 5 says the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. In other words, this verse goes on to compare who, uh, those who plan and those who are impulsive. The latter, furthermore, planning is required in order to be successful. Um, so the pondering of the path means succession of steps by which vision is turned into action, which demands practical planning. The idea of weighing up one's course of action. Um, it says the plans of the diligent lead, lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. In other words, this verse goes on to compare those who plan with those who are impulsive at the uh, last part there. Uh, where I'm getting with this, um, establishing goals. You know, if you like looking at their, their notebook and saying, okay, you have homework that is due tomorrow that will, might take you this amount of time and you can play after you do this. Um, you look sometimes the backpack of some of these kids. I remember talking to Lindsay that she had you know tutoring experience and it's all so jumbled and we don't even know what it what it's due and, and what they have to do for for the next week um so organizing maybe putting a little folder where you can put all the sheets together um organization will be very helpful uh, and I believe also kind of pointing to parents, you know, the, some of the, the things here. Uh, the, the next point, the last one is uh, supervise diligently. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So that close attention, you know, to, let, to look where, where are they going. Distractions are not there, but they might veer off at some point. 
uh, so that close paying attention of how they're doing the supervision. Even the DSM uh, the acknowledges that supervision minimizes or eliminates the observable behaviors that characterize the HDG diagnosis. So quoting the DSM, it says, signs of the disorder may be minimal or absent when the person is receiving frequent rewards for appropriate behavior and in, in under close supervision is in a novel setting, is engaged in especially interesting activities, it is in, when they are in one-to-one -one situation. So that supervision really helps it give accountability to the kids. Um, you know, I, I have given you instruction, but I'm also seeing here, I'm gonna check with you in 10 minutes if you have finished your math, if you have done this or that. Um, that accountability is an extra stimuli. Right? And, and he talks about reward. I didn't talk much here. But rewarding, you know, the, God does that to us. Um, you read Revelation. He says, you know, this I have against you. But you do this, and you will receive this crown. You will receive that, and you will receive that. Um, Peter made a comment to Jesus at some point when he's talking about the kingdom. And, and he said, uh, Lord, we have left everything for your sake. What is in it for us? And Christ didn't sh shun away his, his question. He said, you know, um, there is no one who left houses and fathers and mothers that won't receive a hundredfold eternal life. So there is something in the future. But even in this life, a hundredfold of brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers so if God stimulates us with that accountability and rewarding, so I think we should do that with our children as well. Um, one of the, and I, I set that, as, that little uh, cartoon, um, he said that, you know, the kids are breaking things and the woman's there with a book and the dad is in the computer and says, me, I thought you were raising them. Point, you know, point each other's fingers, responsibility. Um, a friend of mine actually calls ADHD, ADD, ADD, not attention deficit disorder, but um, absentee dad disorder. <laughs> because parents are not very involved. They don't provide the structure. The house is a chaos. It's just really hard to focus. How would you not? <laughs> be distracted in this kind of a structure that is being given to the children. All right, so I want to move on here now to specific examples, and we touched in some of this last week, but I'm hoping to emphasize a little bit more. Um, all right, how about some specific issues? The number one criteria in the DSM is that they often fail to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, work, or other activities. So uh, these are by Rita Jameson. She kind of refutes each one of these issues. So if you can buy her little booklet, it's not very expensive, but it addresses one by one with scripture references. This is how you address it. This is how you address it. So here she says, parents who take time to discuss this behavior with their children will often discover the wants and their desires that leads to such behavior. One way to teach children to listen is by asking them verbally to respond each time they're spoken to. Um, did you understand that? What did, you, what did I just say? And going the back and forth, see if they are tracking. When acknowledge the person who has been spoken to, it shows them honor and can be beginning, the beginning of better listening. When a child habitually does not listen, make sure that you have her attention before you will speak to her. If they are looking some, somewhere else, if they're far away, they are not going to listen. You're going to use the eyes, right? Remember, the eye is important to capture the heart. Uh, little Johnny, are you looking at me? Can you look at me? Where are you looking at? but confronting questions. Call their name, stand in front of the television, turn off the computer, do whatever it takes without yelling. Um, I, it, it, it's so sad when you see just parents yelling. I think it, it comes from a heart of exasperation. I can't understand why 
they're doing what they're doing, but that is not effective. It, it, it's not going to, to drive attention. It, you might instill fear, or you might get them used to listen to you only when they are yelled to. You want them to pay attention, not when you yell, but every time that you talk to them. Um, be slow to become angry. This is kind of for parents. For man's anger does not bring the, brings the righteousness of God. Yelling will not bring about righteousness in life, um, in the children or anyone else, really. Um, symptom six, often avoids, dislikes, reluctantly engages in texts, tasks that require sustained mental effort, such as schoolwork or homework. Some children uh, may be reluctant to engage in the required text because of a history of failure in that particular activity. Not only are these children frustrated, they might have shut down and quit. Students need much encouragement and assistance from adults to get them going again and to show them how they can be successful. Um, if they have failed constantly in doing math, they might just say, I, I, I hate it, I don't want to do it, I don't do this kind of thing. Um, build their trust, build their confidence by giving simpler assignments to do, and then you progressively increase it. You don't just dismiss, oh yeah, yeah, you can't do that, that's fine, and then move on to the next thing. No, you, you push you push them gradually. Students often equate the word hard with impossible, uh, but that isn't true. With our help, they can do difficult things. We have to help them understand that it just requires more effort and determination to think harder. Children should encourage, be encouraged not to give up on hard projects. In my classroom, students are not allowed to, this is uh, Dr. Rita, and she says, uh, my students aren't allowed to say I can't. Those words were put off, and we will put on, I will try. I will, uh, will you help me, please? God's word tells us that we can do everything through him who gives us strength. Now, um, this is not a promise, right, for, for invincibility. And the context there is that Paul, no, I can endure hardships. I can endure difficult situations through Christ who strengthens me. It, is it looking really hard right now? Can you ask Jesus for help? Can you ask him to help you to be patient, to help you to, to do what is hard? Did you know that Jesus did things that was hard for him? Um, I mean, go through Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4. It says that Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. It says that he was perfected, that he matured. I mean, God is perfect. That is a verse that always puzzles me. How God being perfect, he doesn't grow, he doesn't change. How come he can be perfected? Well, I'll, I'll give you the answer. <laughs> you know, in his humanity, remember that in Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself of his prerogatives as God, so he decided to live like one of us and to grow. In that sense, um, the, the suffering that he went through, each suffering that, he, each test that he went through, the temptation in the wilderness, the Later on, the, the inquisition with the Pharisees. So every hardship prepared him to the next level of responsibility. And so this is hard, but it's preparing you for something harder. And guess what? This thing that seems hard for you right now is going to be easy tomorrow. Because you, we grow, you know? And you can give an example. You know, daddy makes things that he doesn't like to do. Mommy does things that they don't like to do but we do it because we trust God that he gives us his strength when we ask him. All right, another example here. Often loses things necessary for tasks or activities. Toys, school assignments, pencils, books, and tools or tools. Children who lose their things need to be taught that biblical doctrine of stewardship. You have been entrusted with certain things and it's your responsibility to take care of them. They're yours, you take care of them. Just in the same way that I take care of my car or take care of my house. God has entrusted them with everything they have and someday they will stand before him to give an account on how they have handled 
all that they have been given. Therefore, they need to take care of all what they have. This child may also benefit from learning organizational principles. Everything the child owns should have a place and everything should be in its place when it's not in use. Uh, I look at Sonia here because I, I just know the things that she does in daycare, you know, <laughs> seen that. Uh, number nine is often forgetful in daily activities. Children who are forgetful in daily activities may need to work on mental priorities. Some forgetful children can remember amazing numbers of details about their favorite sports team or television show. When a parent or a teacher is speaking, they need to learn to think, my, remember this, my remembering this information is important to God, so I will make it important to me. So it's not a matter that I forgot, it's because it's not important to me and I don't, I don't remember. So you gotta make it important to you. Because the person speaking is in an authority and children need to listen to authority. Pocket notepad may help with the situation. Uh, teach children to write down homework assignments, directions, and other important data. They should be signed by the teacher or the parent for the effort and it will not seem worth to the student. Um, sometimes they just want to get over with the things and they, they don't want to remember. Um, Rita suggests in one of other, of, uh, in her book, um, of uh, having this sentence, you know, um, God created me for his glory and everything that I do should be pleasing to him. Is this assignment pleasing to him? At the end of every work. And so she even asked the teacher to put that, you know, in the homework so she would know, it's like, oh, just, the, the teacher will be good with this. <laughs> it's good enough for the teacher. Well, are you doing this for the teacher? God made you to do what is pleasing to him. Do you think that he would be pleased with this assignment? Just attaching that thought, you know, and we, we think that might not make a difference, but it will permeate their hearts through repetition. Often talks excessively. This one, I want you to go to Proverbs 18. And my experience has been, um, she has her own experience, Rita here, but mine has been that it's, it's the self-focus, that it is our default as sinners. We are self-interested. We are self-focused. So Proverbs 18, 2. Uh, someone can read that one, and then someone else can read the 15. So at the heart of it all is the selfishness of saying, you know, what I have to say is more important than what I have to hear. Then the opposite of that will be the 15. Someone else? So um, I, you know, we tend to just focus on, do you want to be a fool or do you want to be a wise person? The fool just wants to talk and talk and talk because all they care about is themselves. But we want to care about other people. Philippians 2, do not seek your own interests only, but also that which of, uh, is of others. Um, and then uh, she talks a little bit about the unwholesome talk, the talk that is focused on destroying people. Kids, some kids just tend to complain about other kids. Um, you know, the Bible doesn't encourage that kind of talk. Did you talk to them? Did you um, help them in their struggle instead of just coming to tell me? Then lastly, there are two more. Two more. Often blurts out answers before questions are completed. So Proverbs 18.13 says that he who gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And why? Why does his folly and shame? Because for one, you didn't understand the instructions that I was talking because you didn't get to the end of it. You're just going to make a fool of yourself. When children interrupt, it may be due to pride. Some children blurt out answers before a question is finished because they want to show everyone that they know the answer first. I had kids in first grade, one in particular that... <laughs> Uh, I just remember his little hand. Excuse me, that he would say in plural. I was like, "Excuse me," all the time. I, I would say, um, "Little Johnny," that's not his name. Why? Uh, why you raise your hand? I haven't finished the question yet. Well, but I know. 
Oh, okay, so why don't you ask the question to the class? Well, well, I don't know. Okay, so let's continue here. You're, you know, you don't want to make a fool of yourself. You listen to see the question first. And then what I would do is I, I, I would try to rem remind them, can you learn something new from someone else? Can you wait to someone else's answer? Maybe it's different from yours. So I want you to listen, hold your thought. I'm going to ask three other children, and I'll come back to you so that they're being trained to wait for others and not to be focused on themselves. Uh, humility and putting others first are replacements for pride. Teach children to respect others by listening until others have finished talking. We also need to help them to replace pride by becoming others-oriented. It's kind of what the principle of Philippians um, talks about. Often interrupts or intrudes on others, uh, butts out into conversations or games. James 1.9 talks about being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. They just get annoyed when it's something that they don't like to talk about. Well, we need to learn to be interested with others are talking about instead of just interrupting them or getting annoyed by that. How prideful it is. I think we adults do that too, right? When something is not, not interesting to us, we just cut it out. Um, but we should show interest on others and what it's important to them, you know? I may not be interested, but because it's important to this person that I'm talking to, I'm going to listen to them. We need the Lord's help, right? Not only the kids, I think a lot of these things um, is convicting even for us. All right, I went a little over time. I'm gonna pray. If you have questions, feel free to come and, and talk after. Gracious Father, we are thankful for your words. They are sufficient that teach us even how we can engage our senses and how to pay attention, Lord. Pray, Father, that this will be an encouragement for our, my brothers and sisters here and uh, motivation, Lord, to seek you all the more, even in the way that they educate their children. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.